Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. Today, SI's Brian Strauss joins me to talk about the long-awaited official announcement of David Beckham's Miami MLS team, intriguing transfers like Aubameyang to Arsenal and Ibrahimovic to LA Galaxy, the U.S. men's friendly against Bosnia, and the ongoing recriminations over the U.S. losing Jonathan Gonzalez to Mexico. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss here. And Brian, Miami's finally happening. We're recording this on Monday morning before their official announcement down in Miami that David Beckham's long-awaited, more than 1,000-day-awaited team is officially being welcomed to MLS as an expansion team. Brian, you are the master of all things MLS expansion. Did you think this would ever come? Thank you for calling me the master. I, uh, I'm not the master enough to know what, uh, what the name, the team's going to be called. Uh, maybe we'll find out in, in an hour or so. Um, I guess the timing of our, uh, recording today is, is not ideal. Um, but as soon as we, um, as soon as we finish up, I'm going to jump over and watch that, uh, watch that broadcast. I'm still coming down off the high of last night's us friendly. <laughs> um, I'm still, you know, I'm still kind of, I still have that buzz. So I hope I'm can sort of summon all of my Jedi mind strength and professionalism to make the transition to Beckham's press conference. I also had a really wild weekend. I went to target. Um, so there's just a lot, a lot to sort of sift through, but, uh, yeah, I always, I, I, I always thought it would happen just because I didn't know when, to be honest, I was surprised when Bowley dropped out and the Moss brothers came in but everyone I ever spoke to at MLS, um, you know, on and off record, behind the scenes, whatever, said, we know it's taken forever. We can't get this wrong. We, 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 we still think this is going to happen. And so that was sort of the, the, guiding, the guiding principle all along. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's finally here. Uh, maybe they're going to have a big event with balloons and whatnot and say, hey, we'll, we'll get back to in 60 to 90 days. Who knows? Um, but but I think the league was always uh, always had belief that this thing would happen. Well, this has a long background to it, not just the more than a thousand days it took from announcing that David Beckham had chosen Miami for his team until this official announcement that it's happening. But going all the way back to 2007, it's been 11 years since David Beckham famously signed in January of 20 or 2007 that contract with the LA Galaxy, which included an option to buy an MLS team at the price point of $25 million. And back then, that $25 million was far above what an MLS team was going for in terms of an expansion fee. Now, $25 million is a bargain compared to the $150 million that new teams are, are paying right little, now. I think there's a little regret in the MLS boardroom over that deal. Oh, yeah. No, and you and I had both heard that over time when this Miami thing was not totally coming together. Some of the owners in MLS were like, man, you know, this is a really low price to, for David Beckham to be getting this team and any investors that he may have coming through here. But give David Beckham some credit. You know, I mean, this was and Tim Lywicky for putting this in the original contract with the Galaxy and getting the approval from MLS owners. It helped bring Beckham to the league. It gave him incentive to put in several years uh, to help build the league. And now he's going to make a heck of a lot of money 
uh, the moment that this goes through. Uh, I'm still curious to see how much of a role David Beckham will have with the team. I don't expect him to be a daily figure in the offices. How about you? I very much want him to be. <laughs> I, I want him to be, I want him to have some sort of full time. I know it's extremely unlikely because he has like, I don't know, what does he do? He has like photo shoots and he has a lot of kids that he's always driving to school and different vehicles. Um, but I, I really, really would just think, I, I think it would just be amazing and fun and, and, and probably kind of absurd if he had a day-to-day uh, technical role with the team. I mean, what's the point in doing this if he, if he doesn't, right? So, um, you know, I want him to be out there, uh, you know, recruiting players. I want to see him at the combine. I want to like, I want to go to like a, you know, I want to go to a, a, a Georgetown, Maryland game and see Beckham, you know, bundled up at Ludwig Field in College Park in early December. <laughs> college soccer. Um, that's what I want out of this. Uh, I actually, for what it's worth for, for some listeners, I, I, I believe maybe you, I'm sure you've heard the saying that that 25 million, uh, that, that, that was a floor that's, that's doesn't, you know, that price has been, has gone up over the time because of some of the delays mm-hmm. and there, there, there weren't, there, there, there were schedules, uh, that weren't hit. Um, and so it's, it's not 25 million anymore. It's still a hell of a lot less than 150, but it's not 25, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very good bargain. Um, and now they have some local investors on board in addition to Beckham and Fuller and Clowre and some of those guys. Um, they, it sounds like they've got the stadium location named down, uh, nailed down. So I'm bracing myself for the really stupid name. Um, <laughs> they're going to be called. They're going to be called Miami Albion, <laughs> and they're going to wear all black. I'm going to want to go play in traffic, but uh, I, yeah, I hope Beckham's involved. Well, here's my hope for the team. I hope that in a city like Miami, which has become very much a South American city uh, in terms of where a lot of the immigrants uh, are from who live there now, and and that's happened over the last 10, 20 years. I hope this team has a very South American flavor. I would love to see a similar situation to what we have in Atlanta with Tata Martino coaching that team and having a pipeline to Newell's Old Boys and Paraguay and all of the people that he knows down there. Um, you know, obviously Beckham is European. Obviously, there's a European element to the people who live in Miami too. And so I don't want to say that I don't want to have any European influence in terms of the players on the field. I do think there's going to be a temptation to have older stars in a very star-driven town. And I hope that's not the case. I hope we have more of the young 20s, late teens future South American superstars that we've seen signing with the league recently, especially in Atlanta and LAFC and other places like NYCFC. Um, what kind of mix are you looking for? Beckham would say he's English, by the way. He would not say he's European. <laughs> that always blew me away. Like the first couple times I went to England and, and they would say, you know, they would say like, we're going to Europe. Like it's a separate place from them. It's, it's an interesting cultural affectation um you know maybe some of both i mean well it it depends on 
It depends on whether or not he is the guy, you know, bundled up at Ludwig Field in December. It depends on, I mean, so much of what Atlanta is doing. You know, Darren Eels is a Brit as well, right? And so so a lot of what that team looks like now is is due to Tata and 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 his ability to to connect with players and recruit players and things like that. So it, it all depends on who he hires and depends on what 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 the what's in vogue in MLS when they eventually start playing, whether that's 2020 or 2030 or whenever this thing finally happens. Um, so I, like I said, I, I would love to see Beckham. I don't want this to be like, like, you know, you know, crusty brand thermos, you know, where, where, where he, he doesn't realize the thermos is lined with lead. He just like, you know, was on a bender and, and signed a contract putting, you know, putting his clown face on it. I want Beckham involved and whether he does the right things or the wrong things or signs, you know, 40 year old Italians or, or 19 year old Paraguayans, I want his fingerprints on this thing. And I, and, and that what will be sort of, uh, fun to follow. So that's what I, that's what I hope. Well, well, transition now, and I think there's a way to do this in the sense that I don't want to see 30-year-old, pretty much over-the-hill European stars coming to join Miami. I don't want to see that happen very often in MLS, period. And here we are now with reports. First, Taylor Twelman uh, had it uh, on Sunday night that LA Galaxy is uh, getting close to signing Zlatan Ibrahimovic, 36 years old, hasn't played much this year, coming off a bad, bad knee injury, um, and wouldn't even be a designated player. He'd be a TAM signing. Zlatan to L.A. Do you like the sound of that, or is that Steven Gerrard part two? Wouldn't you have loved to have been in the room when Chris Klein was trying to explain to Zlatan that TAM actually was bigger than DP? <laughs> And 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 the and the linguistic gymnastics required uh, to convince Latan that Tan actually was for you know, you know, for lions like him. Uh, <laughs> look, man, there's exceptions to every rule, right? And guys like uh, guys like Gerard and 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 Pirlo and some other guys who maybe came in with massive names and massive resumes who didn't have the impact we hoped. Um, you know, they also weren't transcendent cultural figures like like Zlatan is so I'm I'm gonna make an exception for the guy I agree with you I think most people agree that we don't want to see this league become you know uh, um, uh, uh, you know a beach vacation for aging European stars but it's it's Zlatan man like like let the guy come over for a season and if he's not committed and it doesn't work out on the field the, the galaxy will, will 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 find a band-aid and figure it out or they'll pay the price for it um, but he's fun, he's talented, he's transcendent, um, and, and why not give it a shot? Especially when you've got a, a, a team down the road now that's making a lot of noise um, and that's looking to undo some of the, the 22 years of, of, um, of traction you've laid in that market. So I think it's great. I'm looking forward to it. The whole point is, are you going to watch? Are you going to pay attention? Are you going to follow it? And if Zlatan's in the league, you're going to follow it. You know, you're going to want to see how he did. You're going to want to hear what he has to say. The interviews, the, the post-game interviews in the locker room are going to be epic. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. And uh, either it works out or it doesn't. And it's it's going to be a story either way. First off, I love Zlatan Ibrahimovic as a media member. I can't wait for him if he does come. Have uh, you interviewed Oh, yeah. Um, I interviewed him once about uh, his autobiography, which is... One of the more entertaining autobiographies ever. He basically goes off on everybody, uh, including Pep Guardiola, 
um, plenty of others. The only thing that was really disappointing, what was really cool actually about the phone interview I did, and it's on si.com if you want to Google it, um, is if you like open fire on all these people like Pep Guardiola in your book, you basically have to answer questions about it when someone interviews interviews you about your book. <laughs> so I'd never met Zlatan before, and suddenly I'm asking him these like totally charged questions just based on the book I had just read. The one downer, it's a pretty big one, is that it came out eventually that the author of the book, it was an as told to book, totally made stuff up that isn't even true. And that Zlatan eventually approved for some reason, and then it was presented as factual, which is really lame. Um, but that said, I love Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I would not like this move at all if it were as a designated player. But if it's Tam, you can kind of roll the dice. I mean, if the Galaxy is really not spending much money on it, then why not? You know, it's pretty low risk for the Galaxy. He's not taking up a DP slot. Um, and he, you know, the upside, if he can get it going again, would be, you know, or even get it going to half of what he was before, would be pretty, pretty good, I would think. So yeah. they've made some other moves in midfield and up front. Obviously, you know, uh, Jonathan Dos Santos, they got Ola Kamara from Columbus. Um, Sebastian Legette will be sort of like an addition, right? Because he essentially missed all of last year uh, with an injury. Um, so so I, I think they were on a, a decent trajectory before this. And so, yeah, if they're not spending a fortune and Zlatan doesn't work out or he spends his time, um, you know, doing weird L.A. shit, uh, then then it's not a massive, massive outlay uh, that could sort of cripple the season. So um, I'm all for it. And again, this is this is very Zlatan. Like you just you, you say the his his ghostwriter, whomever wrote the book made. I mean, the man has transcended into historical fiction already <laughs> and he's still playing. This is why he has to be here. And, and, and like I said, whatever happens, whatever circus ensues by him being here um, will be worth it. And, and the nice thing is, is I think the league is at a point where, you know, if, if it's the wrong move, that's it, just going to hurt the galaxy. It's not going to hurt the whole league. Other teams aren't going to suffer. Um, and, and that's how it should be. You know, teams should, should ante up and, and, and benefit if the move is right and pay the price if it's wrong. And that's what will happen couple other interesting transfer window moves to talk about here. This one's still perspective. Sounds like it's about to get done as we record. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, the wonderful striker for Borussia Dortmund, at least in recent years, uh, appears headed to Arsenal. Deal has been agreed. Um, and uh, that's the second Dortmund or former Dortmund player going to Arsenal along with Henrik Mkhitaryan since they got Sven Mislintat from Dortmund. Uh, who's now their uh, head of recruitment at Arsenal. Um, other moves here, Gregory Vanderweel, who started the 2010 World Cup final for the Netherlands, appears headed to Toronto FC, and Mix Diskerud, signed by Manchester City in one of the weirdest situations I've seen in a while. Which one of those do you want to pick first? Um... Let's talk about Obama Young because it allows us to say the name Polisic, <laughs> and maybe there's like some Google search action that that that'll help. So let's start there. Well, I mean, here's what I would say: is Obama Young. I'm surprised it's taken him this long to get sold. Um, in my book coming out 
May 1st, I have a chapter on Michael Zorik. He's the sporting director at Borussia Dortmund. He's really good at his job, buy low, sell high. And I have a quote from him from last spring when I interviewed him saying, I think we're about to sell Aubameyang. Um, And here we are. It took a little longer than expected. Uh, Aubameyang has been kind of in trouble on a fairly regular basis with the management at Dortmund. They've benched him for several games for various uh, misdeeds, uh, like being late to practice, uh, things like that. Uh, Clearly a guy who wants to move somewhere, wants to move to Arsenal, and a guy who, even though he scored a lot of goals in recent years for Dortmund, got booed and whistled by the Dortmund fans the other day at kickoff. So, um, look, he's a, he's a established, terrific goal scorer. And I guess the question is, will he be able to keep up that rate uh, in the Premier League? I like Aubameyang as a player. Uh, curious to see how he's going to fit with Lacazette. Sounds like Olivier Giroud is uh, on his way out. Uh, and I think there are actual implications for Christian Pulisic here because what we've seen now is in the first transfer window of Sven Mislintat at Arsenal, he has brought in two Dortmund guys. And that's already more than the number of Dortmund guys that Jurgen Klopp has brought to Liverpool since he got there. And so everyone thinks Pulisic eventually might go to Liverpool. The guy who's actually bringing Dortmund players to the Premier League is not Jurgen Klopp. It's Sven Mislintat to Arsenal. It was a really bad plug of your book. Really? Darn. Yeah, you, didn't, you didn't mention the title of your book. Oh, Masters of Modern Soccer. Thank yes. you. Yes. That seems a little forced, though. Well, now it is. Now that I'm with you. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm obviously interested to see. I mean, Aubameyang, obviously a replacement for, for Alexis Sanchez. Um, you know, a guy who can, can create havoc in the penalty area and, you know, you know, finish something out of nothing. It's a good move for Arsenal. Whether or not the same Malay, you know, Ar- Arsenal's not winning the Premier League either, right? So, so whether or not whatever Malays has hit Aubameyang in Dortmund, because perhaps he doesn't feel like the club is um, in position or doing what's necessary or required or possible to challenge Bayern, it'll be interesting to see if he starts to catch a whiff of that at Arsenal as well over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, as, as it impacts Pulisic. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's seeing some of the better players on his team, um, move on, obviously Dembele to, to, to Barcelona. Um, and so you have to wonder whether he's going to start feeling like, um, Dortmund has a ceiling, uh, that, 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 that's uncomfortable for him. Um, you know, maybe he'll start being, you know, a petulant, you know, <laughs> I don't see it party practice and, 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 you know, uh, uh, telling fans and press to talk to the hand and, 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 and having little conniptions. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's cert- it certainly, um, highlights the fact, I mean, now, now to be fair, I mean, Dortmund, I think is only like a game at a second in, 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 in the Bundesliga. So if they, if they're able to, it's, it looks like they've stopped some of the bleeding, um, they're tying games instead of losing them at the moment, they're still scoring goals. Um, so maybe if they can sort of get some traction and, and, and solidify a Champions League spot, maybe even finish second, you know, Pulisic and some of the guys who are still there, Max Phillip, um, will, will feel comfortable. Um, but if, if, if there's a sense that this club has maxed out, um, maybe Pulisic is going to feel a bit more itchy than he has been. 
Now, Gregory Vanderweel, Toronto FC, uh, he's 29 years old. Uh, as we mentioned, started the World Cup final for the Netherlands in 2010, had some good years at PSG, and then kind of fell off the face of the earth. Went to Turkey, signed with Cagliari, um, hasn't played for the Dutch national team since 2015. So it's not his fault. Um, but, you know, this is a guy who's had quite a few injuries, uh, replacement for Steve Bateshore. Um is this a sexy signing or kind of a meh? Um, it depends on how you feel about neck tattoos, I guess. <laughs> Solid neck tattoos. And a guy who, even when he was like, you know, at PSG and, and you know, playing in the World Cup, he would always post pictures of himself visiting North America. So maybe he's always had this interest. I don't know. Um, well, he was, at a, he, he was seen at a uh, Toronto Raptors uh, game last night. With um, uh, Tim Bezbachenko, uh, the Toronto FC uh, general manager, um, who is just who you know, I mean, the guy can't do anything wrong, right? So, um, if in Bez we trust, and and you and you you think that they've done their 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 due diligence on on this guy, and then um, you know maybe some of the injuries and some of the time on the bench in Italy. Uh, you know, maybe that's refreshed him and refocused him. I mean, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, being a straight up replacement for Stephen Bateshire, Vanderbilt's a, 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 an attacking right back who obviously would fit into to Greg Manny's three five two um, or the sort of the hybrid four four two he played at MLS Cup. Either way, um, and you know, you got to trust it's a club that's been getting everything right lately. Um, and I assume they're not going to break the bank for the guy. And Tam, what? Tam, yeah, it's gotta be Tam, right? Tam. Um, so yeah, in 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 Bez and in TFC, you uh, you, you you trust, um, and we'll see. And again, if, if it doesn't work out, they'll be the ones that pay the price. But it's a it's an intriguing and creative solution uh, to to a spot they needed some help in. In this mixed discord thing, uh, maybe we'll get some more info on it down the line. Not announced by Man City. Yeah, I have no idea what's going an, on there. And announced by Umbro of all things. Um, I miss Umbro, by the way. I just want to say that, and they're not. This is not a paid plug because nobody pays me to do anything. Um, but uh, I love Umbro, and I miss their stuff. Uh, so, mixed discord. His contract with NYCFC was set to run out at the end of 2018. Has had that contract terminated, but he signed a 4.5, four point five, four and a half year deal with. Man City of all teams, but the word is that he's not going to train with the first team. He's not going to play with the first team. City is likely to loan him out somewhere. Um, I can only surmise that this was done to get Discrude totally off the books with NYCFC. Um, and yet, four and a half year contracts, kind of crazy to me, even if he never sets foot uh, on the field in a Man City uniform. Here's a guy who wore the number 10 for the U.S. at World Cup 2014, who scored the first goal in NYCFC history, who had a role in the goal that the U.S. beat Mexico with, or one of the goals the U.S. beat Mexico with the night they qualified for World Cup 2014, uh, who basically just isn't a factor anymore. Is there any sense that Mix Discarude can revive his career at club level and potentially with the national team? No. Uh, <laughs> the guy, and the, and the guy, the guy's got, 
like six or seven goals for the for the for the national team, which which isn't a bad return um, for someone who who plays his role. I yeah, when you say he, when you say when you say he wore the ten at, at the World Cup, I I want to cry a little bit. <laughs> uh, you know how like teams are signing um, whatever it is, like they're they're signing like e e FIFA video game dudes, right? Like this is what they're doing now. You know, <laughs> they're they're about more than just the product on the field. Mix could be like like Man City's like poet laureate, right? He'd be like, you know, we need a guy with really good hair who's gonna like write good poems on Instagram. Let's get this guy. Oh yeah, he's already in the we, we know him at CFG. It's really weird. And and he's a weird dude. And and he look, he's shown flashes of 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 being a good footballer. There's no question. Um you know, and and he's he's 27, so it's not like it's not like he's washed up. Um, I've interviewed him a few couple times. Um, he's a he's a unique individual. Uh, he got upset with me one time. It was before a, a a roster announcement, a U.S. roster announcement, and NYCFC was playing in, here in D.C. at RFK, and I uh, I approached Mix in the locker room after the game, and I talked to him a couple times before, so I think he knew who I was. I, I don't know. He didn't act like he didn't, and I and I had heard he wasn't going to be on the roster. He wasn't going to be called up. Maybe it was in 2015 before the Confederations Cup playoff at the Rose Bowl, and I, you know, I I said, hey, I heard I heard you weren't going to the Rose Bowl. You know, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, do you have any thoughts on it? And he got very agitated. And he said, how do you know that? I don't understand how you know this. And I said, someone mentioned it to me. You know, you guys are here in town. And just someone had mentioned to me that you weren't called up. I mean, it's not a big deal. I'm not, you know. And I kind of wanted to say, I don't think less of you. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to criticize you. I just, you know, if you had a thought or a, a, you know, comment on that, I'll take it. You know, but if not, that's cool, too. And he's like. I just don't understand how you guys do this. I don't understand how all of this works. Who gives you this information? Huh. And I said, and he was like running his fingers through his luxurious hair and he was agitated and I didn't want to stress the guy out. And so I said, look, I said, you know, it's okay. It's cool. No pressure. You know, I was just going to ask. Um, but I said, if you want to have a chat about that, if you want to, uh, talk about how we get this kind of information and stuff like that and, and how our jobs work, I'd be happy to have that conversation with you. And he said he would very much like to do that. And we never had the conversation. So that's it. That's, that's my mixed discarude is, is an interesting guy story that just popped to mind. Yeah. I mean, like, I hope his career is not done. I, uh, you know, obviously there's, he was voted the most overrated player in MLS by an ESPN survey, uh, of MLS players a year or two ago. Uh, I think he was under a lot of pressure. He signed a pretty big contract in New York, and it didn't work out. And um, we'll see if that derails his career or not. At least he's going to get paid for the next four and a half years. Um, USA Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, you had to write off this uh, classic 0-0 friendly uh, for SI.com. Is there much to say? Uh Dude, I like I churned out like a thousand words on that on that puppy. So uh, yeah, yeah, I want a uh, I want a medal. Um, I want a, <laughs> I want a game check. Um, you know, uh, we feel like there should be something to say, don't we? Like the national team plays, and we want to draw conclusions, or 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 if not draw conclusions, 
um, spot trajectory trend? Um, what did we learn? Who disappointed? Who showed well? Um, who, 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 um, you know, where's the evidence that this player or that player will be a factor going forward or won't be, we, we want to put these games on a continuum. Um, we want to make them part of a longer story and maybe sometimes they're just not. That's my feeling. I think we're going to learn more about Tyler Adams from how he does in MLS this year uh, in games that matter than in a meaningless friendly in January against Bosnia's C team, you know, and maybe that's harsh, but uh, just because the national team plays doesn't mean there's a lot to talk about or a lot to break down. There's a reason why you and I were not at that game. Maybe a little more interesting to me is Dave Sarakin, the caretaker U.S. coach. You spoke to him last week at length. Dave's put a lot into U.S. soccer over the years, has had a lot of good years, uh, usually as Bruce Arena's assistant, but not always. Um, And a lot of things came together to put Dave Sarakin in the position where he's going to be coaching the U.S., maybe even until after the World Cup when a new coach gets hired. Um, Is it crazy, though, to think for him to think that he might have a shot at actually getting the job? It seems that way to me. Yeah, well, he's at least going to be coaching. We know he'll be coaching through March, um, through through the, the the friendlies that are played in the March FIFA window. I spent an hour on the phone with him this week. Um, it it was nice. He's a very nice guy. Um, it's the first time in a long time uh, I've had the chance to talk to a, a U.S. national team coach who uh, wasn't condescending um, or wasn't <laughs> lecturing um, or didn't think I was an idiot. Uh, so that was pleasant. Um, both on and off record, uh, had, had insight and an opinion. And it was, it was a really nice chat. So, um, that was, that was enjoyable. Uh, did two stories off of that for, for SI.com. Um, you know, he has, he's, it's been a long time since he's been a head coach. You know, he's been working under Bruce and maybe there's a bit of Dave who, who, and he said this to me in, 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 in a couple of ways that he's not Bruce arena. And, and then maybe he feels at this point, he's in his early sixties that he could do more uh, to, to, to make his own name. Maybe he's too, too inextricably tied to Arena. And this is a chance for him to do that. He, he is the coach of the U.S. national team, whether it's for another year or another day. And this is an opportunity for him uh, to, under very, very strange and, and, and trying circumstances, build something that looks like something, you know, and, and, and he and – he, he was praised for the way, you know, both publicly and behind the scenes for the way he handled the Portugal game and the way he set the team up and the way he had them kind of motivated to play that game and the result he got. It would have been a win if not for a, a, a goalkeeper error. Um, and so I think last night he was coaching for the long term. He, he did not just throw the kids out there. He just he just he didn't just, you know, take the 21 year olds and say, let's get after it and see what we got. He started with a pretty conservative lineup um, with some veterans who are not going to be part of the team in 2022. He played the 4-1-4-1 again without a playmaker. Um, And he tried to sort of ease that game toward a situation where he could inject some blood into the second half and maybe steal a result. Um, He didn't coach that. uh, He didn't coach that game like you were never going to hear from him again afterwards. And so, uh, yeah, I think he is using this as an opportunity to show what he has whether it's to to brand himself for, for a future job or maybe 
to even put himself in position to compete for the U.S. job. Well, here's what I would say is I'm bummed out he didn't play more of the young guys uh, from the start. Um, I think that's, if you're going to get anything, and I think that's a negligible uh, amount that you're going to get out of a game like that right now, for the next several months, every game the U.S. should be playing their young guys. I don't like starting a 30-year-old in Moro. Um, and if if the reason for for doing those types of things is to give him a chance to win the, the job, I'll, I'll be the one to say it in a nice way here. Dave, you're not getting the job, man. And so, like, results right now don't mean anything. Give the young guys time on the field. This is this is purely speculation on my part, what I'm about to say. Um, I don't disagree with you, by the way. And, and actually, Ike Parra was so far and away uh, the best defender for the U.S. last night that, that I, I worry what it would have looked like if he hadn't been in the game. But um, that being said, um, one of the things Dave mentioned uh, when the roster came out and then one of the things we talked about uh, during our conversation was this idea that you do have a lot of young guys coming in, um, the, the uncapped, untested, um, and that it was an opportunity for Sarakin and the staff to sort of show what the national team's about, what a national team camp is about. And that's on the field and off. He said, you know, we, we watch the way they handle, uh, you know, handle themselves in the locker room, handle themselves at meals, handle themselves with fans and the media, all of the little things that go into sort of creating a team culture um, and, and, and creating an appreciation and a reverence for the national team experience and opportunity. All of that stuff is being kind of tested and evaluated during a camp like this. And, and part of the national team experience, a big part of it is the idea that you you enter a camp, whether it's three weeks or three days, and the best players, the, the guys who handle themselves the best over all of that stuff over the course of the camp are the ones who play. And so the best way, perhaps, for Sarakin to show the young guys what a national team camp is about is by making it a true meritocracy. And if CJ Sapong and and Ike Opara and and you know some of the some of the older guys were the best players in camp, were the guys who handled all of this stuff the best, then starting them, then giving them that opportunity and that honor would be the best way to show everyone what a camp was about. And again, this is just me wondering what an explanation might be for not just throwing the young guys out there. And if it's that, if it's that Sarakin wanted to demonstrate that this is how camp works, if you're not the best player over the course of the period, then you're not going to start. And that's the message he's sending. And that's a very long-term way of looking at it. Um, and and in a way, it would be kind of interesting. It would be kind of defensible if that was his thinking. I'm, I'm with you to an extent on that. I think especially for the young guys, if they can take away from this January camp experience and potentially March or even last November, uh, how to go about doing things in a national team camp and for the guys for whom this is their first national team camps, uh, that could be important because it certainly sounds like from listening to Bruce arena last week, that there were some bad eggs veterans on the failed, uh, qualification team. Uh, he certainly seemed to indicate Jeff Cameron was one of those guys, um, that, you know, if you can prevent that sort of, uh, vibe from developing inside your national team, that would be a positive thing. So if that's what comes out of the Dave Sarakin stretch here, then uh, that's not that's not a bad thing, I would say. Um, he'll, he'll have access. 
he'll have access to the whole pool for the first time in March. Um, so that'll be a chance to see, um, you know, how, uh, veterans and the European guys and the, and that group, uh, you know, responds to him. Um, you know, I don't know if anyone last night, Will Trapp was probably the best player for the U S I mean, maybe he earned himself a March call up, but if, 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 if Sarakin has all the European players and all the MLS vets and everyone uh, at his disposal, um, that then maybe he's thinking, you know, and we don't know who they're going to play. So if there's some decent tests there, maybe he's thinking that that's his kind of final exam uh, for him to to prove himself as someone who, with a new president and perhaps with a an evolving technical structure at the federation, that he should at least be considered. I think he just wants to be considered. Maybe he's naive, um, but he's he's got nothing else going on right now. Uh, so he may as well kind of put everything on the table and and try to do the best he can. One last thing I want to talk about before we sign off is the Jonathan Gonzalez story is not going away. Yes. (laughs) And what's happened here in the past week? Uh, We've had further reporting, uh, some of it from Hercules Gomez at ESPN, uh, citing the father of Jonathan Gonzalez that uh, Thomas Rongen had said as the chief scout for U.S. soccer, he visited the house of the Gonzalez's three times. Uh, the father saying, no, that was not the case. And Rangan saying, that is correct. I uh, did not uh, give an accurate representation of what had happened. Uh, then there was uh, Hercules Gomez reporting that Richie Williams had given a 10-minute ultimatum to the Gonzalez family about coming to the U-17 residency in Florida. Um, that was later denied by Richie Williams um, I, there's a lot of stuff happening here. I guess right now, my biggest question is why won't anyone at us soccer just say we screwed up, we didn't do enough and move on. No one's doing that, Brian. Who should, who should say that? Um, I think that should be said. National team coach, the outgoing president who, who should, who should say that? Sunil Gulati, Dave Sarakin, Tab Ramos. Any of them. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think Sarakin, co- I mean, Sarakin, at least, he's the only person I've spoken to on the record um, about Gonzalez. And, and, and I mean, he said things like, we could, we, we could be better, you know? I mean, he, he in a broad way, he, he, he wasn't, uh, I don't want to, I mean, he certainly wasn't like, you know, uh, you know throwing himself on the grenade. Um, but, but, but he acknowledged that things could be better throughout. Um, and acknowledged that uh, U.S. soccer did not have um, some of the structural advantages and, and the timely advantages that the FMF had. Um, the two primary ones are going to the World Cup and having a technical director whose job it is to to look around corners, look at the long term, and 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 pursue guys like Gonzalez. Even if you think you have don't have much of a shot, there's someone who has the time to do that. Um, everyone thought Gonzalez was a U.S. player. I mean, you know, one person told me that that even the players at January camp were shocked uh, that that Gonzalez made the switch. I mean, everyone assumed that this kid was a U.S. player, um, except for Dennis DeClosa. <laughs> Um, and so the mistake is in the assumption, and whether or not you think that's a cultural flaw, whether you think that's about overlooking and underappreciating players of certain backgrounds, 
um, whether or not that's hubris, whether it's disorganization, whatever it is, clearly, uh, you know, as I as I said in the story I wrote on this, the U.S. didn't realize it was even in a battle for this kid. It had no idea. Um, and that's why it lost the battle, obviously. And so whose job is it is it to apologize for that? I'm not even sure they understand how it happened. I'm not even sure they understand how they didn't realize that they were in a recruiting war for this kid and didn't know it. Um, so, you know, it's going to take sort of an autopsy and a, and a real look at the responsibilities and the technical structure of the Federation and the priorities of the Federation, I think, to piece through this. Yeah, I, I just think this is of a piece with the lack of accountability that we've seen for a while in U.S. soccer. And all you have to do is say, look, we screwed up. We didn't do enough. Here's what we're going to do to get better. And they got out recruited by Dennis Tecloza. It's it's pretty simple. And that's one thing Jurgen Klinsmann could do. He could recruit dual nationals. And so uh, if that means getting a GM in, part of whose duties can be to recruit, this is not a new thing when it comes to recruiting battles for players who can choose to play for different national teams. So uh, this one in particular, I think, has had more legs than than most, but it was also a pretty shining example of how U.S. soccer can be better. Yeah, and and you know, uh, ESPN posted some quotes from Gonzalez. I guess he did some media um, once he joined up with the national team for their friendlies, or once he was called up. Um, and and uh, he said his parents were quote fundamental. Uh, his his Mexican parents were fundamental in this decision. And he also said, um, "I'm Mexican. My family, all my roots are Mexican. You can tell I'm Mexican by looking at me." So can you recruit against that? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what could have been done or what could have been said, especially when, when he's, you know, as Dave Sarakin said, Mexico at home court advantage, right? He's playing in Mexico. He's becoming a star in Mexico. He's surrounded by the culture and the fans and the media and the, and the, and the, and the, the, the spotlight and the crucible that comes from playing the most popular sport in the country by far for a very good team. Um, and that was, just wasn't something that he could get here or was getting here. Um, and so I don't know what I don't know enough about Gonzalez or certainly the cultural issues at play or what went on at U.S. soccer to know what could have been done or what should have been done. Um, maybe maybe once he became a star at Monterey, it was going to be a lost cause unless they had cap tied him earlier. Maybe there was recruiting that could have been done during the fall to keep him in the U.S. fold. I just don't know. And I don't even know who to ask because it doesn't seem like anyone's in charge. Well, it does so happen that uh, Brad Rothenberg will be a guest on the podcast uh, on Thursday. Uh, Brad Rothenberg, son of former U.S. soccer president Alan Rothenberg, uh, founded, was the co-founder of Alianza de Football, uh, which is what identified Jonathan Gonzalez back in 2013 before he signed with Monterey. Um, and Rothenberg, I've already spoken to him, but it's a, it's a very interesting interview about what he thinks U.S. soccer could have done uh, a lot more to land Jonathan Gonzalez. Thought He thought that Gonzalez, as recently as late December, uh, was going to be a U.S. player. So, um, right, hey. so, he made, so, so he made the assumption too, maybe, right? I mean, this was... This was everyone sort of assuming someone else was going to catch the pop fly and the pop fly just hitting the grass. You know, I mean, that's, you know, uh, Dave Sarakin said that, well, you know, Gonzalez was a youth player. 
He said, I didn't have a relationship with him. I never coached him, but Tab had. Tab knew him very well, and he was a youth player, and Tab's the youth technical director. So I kind of assumed Tab was covering that base, you know, kind of thought that that's how it was going to go. And so everybody thinks someone ever, everyone thinks someone else will take care of it. Um, you know, it's also true uh, that, that, that Gonzalez was left out of the U20 World Cup. Maybe he was frustrated by that. Maybe U.S. soccer didn't rate him as highly as we expected them to, or they should have. So there's so many potential factors here, not to mention the complex cultural piece. Um, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to doubt anyone who thinks they have all the answers. Yeah, no, that's how I feel about people who have easy answers for a lot of soccer things. Um, lots going on here, stuff that hasn't even, you know, doesn't even have to do with soccer. Obviously it's about identity and how you feel. Um, in the end, uh, the best recruiter, Dennis DeCloza, in this case, got the job done. Uh, the only recruiter. The only recruiter. No, the only real one who went, you know, and, and that's why I think uh, U.S. soccer couldn't hurt to have a, a John Calipari um, recruiting specialist whose job it is, maybe even sole job, is to recruit dual nationals. Because, that should be a job. Yeah. Nick, I saw some uh, Nick Saban doing a little dancing with some recruits maybe maybe a guy like that someone i agree not not thomas wrongan <laughs> all right well thanks for joining me brian you're going to be gone the next two weeks you are on vacation a well-deserved vacation which you have not taken in a long time two and a half years man i don't treat myself very well at all so yeah i will be heading out for a couple weeks and i will uh talk to all of uh our esteemed listeners when i get back sounds great man take care all right Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the new 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available for free now on SI.com. Recent guests include Don Garber, Ali Wagner, Taylor Twellman, and Andres Contour. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.